Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning, friends. Come on in, pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller. And we're so excited to have you with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cam Clutter is our barista. And in a few minutes, we'll be continuing our conversation on the Beatitudes with Dr. Marlon Delatore. And then at about 8.20, our friends Angela Bonfont and David Locke will be with us to chat about cultivating interior peace in an anxious world. Big topic, oh, Amanda. Yeah. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Can you start us with a prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for another day. We thank you for your goodness and for your blessings, for your mercy and for your love. We give all of our cares and anxieties to you, Lord, knowing that you are just the master of peace, the source of peace, the source of love. We offer ourselves to you and all those that we serve and all those that we will encounter today. Help us to turn to you whenever we start to feel anxious, to feel secure in your plan for our lives. We offer all this through Jesus' name and through the intercession of Mary. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Providentially, today is World Mental Health Day. No way. We just learned that. We didn't plan that. No. <laughs> we were looking at today's gospel reading of uh, Martha and Mary, which mm-hmm. we'll bring into the conversation in a little while. And then also looking back at the second reading from last Sunday from Philippians. So, yeah, but... Also, World Mental Health Day. Yeah, that's so surprise. providential. It's also Angel Food Cake Day. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. Yeah. Are you a fan of Angel Food Cake? I love, love Angel Food oh, Cake. Oh, even perfect. Are you going to celebrate today? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully okay. the family is listening. What I... do you like on your Angel Food Cake is the real question. Oh, berries. Mm. Yeah, blueberries. So not just a strawberry person. Hmm? Like all the berries. No, just blueberries. Okay. Yeah. Blueberries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's in front of me. Yeah, my, my mom would make like this, uh, I don't know, is compote the right word? Just like a mix of berries and sugar and she'd just let it sit and... I think compote. I think compost is something different. You don't you don't want compost. No. No. <laughs> no. Uh yeah, but I loved it. And we would put it over food cake angel food cake and so good. It's also cake decorating day too, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually it I bring, have a cousin. Those things bring joy. Yeah. I have a cousin who is just amazing. She just picked up decorating cakes. She's amazing at it. Yeah. Can she ship us one? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) With us on the phone is Dr. Marlon Delatore. Good morning, doctor. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Awesome. It's Tuesday already. I'm telling you, it feels like Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we're continuing our series on the Beatitudes. This week, blessed are the meek, for Mm. they will inherit the land. Amen to that, David Amanda. I think um, sometimes when we <clears throat> engage the uh, 
the opportunity to be kind to someone, uh, it can raise a lot of challenges. And that's that's the some of the premise and the preface behind Blessed Are the Meek. And really for our listeners, just to recall the fact that the Beatitudes are the entryway to salvation. They are the culmination of the the entryway that we receive with the, the Ten Commandments, the law of God in Exodus. And when we see this law, is meant to be a law of love between God and His people, and that in order to be intimate with Him, to be united with Him, these are the pathways to heaven. And when we look at the commandments, they, they really receive their fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ, which is really the, the whole epitome of the Old Testament, anticipating the one who is to resuscitate and rescue us from the fall of Adam and Eve. And so when we look at the Beatitudes, especially this, this next Beatitude on being meek, we're called to imitate Christ. Now, that might sound like a tall order, but it really means, first and foremost, a deference to those in need before ourselves, and to be able to seek the good in someone and hopefully bring that person into a, a holy reality that, that God does dearly love them and wants nothing but the best for him or for her. So that, that's part of the background in terms of this beautiful beatitude, because we're showing and in essence, uh, a gentleness and a kindness towards our neighbor, even for those who refute us, even for those who may not like us or may have an issue with uh, our Catholic faith. We're so called to try to show uh, a meekness and kindness of heart. So is that gentleness and kindness a good definition for meekness? It, it is in many respects because those are the roots towards being an imitator of Jesus Christ. So all of us by baptism enter into this imitation. And this imitation really is a divine imitation. And so there is a subset into really mimicking or embracing a life of Jesus Christ. Part of that is showing a gentleness and a meekness, but it's firm, meaning that that meekness is supposed to be truthful. It's supposed to be honest. It's supposed to be disciplined in mannerism. Uh, And the gentleness means having a a firm disposition of the heart, uh, offering fraternal correction, uh, calling out someone who is, who is misbehaving or is not living uh, a sound, moral, virtuous life. That's really all that encompassed, uh, that's encompassed in this particular beatitude. Um, yes, be gentle, be firm, be meek, but be holy, be disciplined in what we're called to be. So it, it, it's, it's a very, uh, for lack of a better term, loaded beatitude. Mm. Dr. Marlin, you had said, it, though it must be done in firmness and in truth, so what would a false meekness look like? Basically, a false meekness would be being gentle and, and being accepting of the person's false sense of compassion. So in other words, if, if the person comes to you and says, you know, I really believe that I uh, need to live a, a life with my, say, girlfriend. Uh, I believe that I have a right, I love her, I want to cohabitate with her, or someone who says they want to engage in some type of uh, paraphernalia that is improper, whether reading an improper magazine or engaging in vile language. And our meekness doesn't, doesn't merely say, all right, I accept you, I love you, I understand you want to do these vices, you want to perform these sins, and that's okay. It's like, no, it's not okay. Being meek and firm apart means also uh, admonishing the act, uh, taking the person out of ignorance and explaining to that person that, uh, of course, uh, this is no more act. Fornication is no more act. Adultery is no more act or uh, saying the Lord's name in vain is a moral act, or not going to Mass on Sunday deliberately uh, is an immoral act. And so these are the things that we have to press on and be firm, 
because in essence, meekness means that we are called to prepare the person for the Lord. That's another element related to meekness. So this is part of the, the firmness that I'm referring to, that, that we're responsible for the souls that we come across, and our aim is to lead them to heaven. So it sounds like the, then if we kind of just use this blind acceptance or this um, just utter blanket of kindness, we're really mm-hmm. doing our neighbor a disservice. We are, because in other words, if, if we are literally created uh, to be in love with God, and we see someone commit an act that really uh, separates it from that love, and we see that and we know that, then we have a moral obligation. And our meekness and our gentleness of heart means that I, I need to walk you away from that calamity. I, I want you to understand the reality of what God wants of you, not by my own will, but what God has handed to us. And, and this is very important and key that we understand where we're coming from and that it, it, we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ in, in so many ways. So uh, this is all part of this whole essence of beatitude and meekness. We're speaking with Dr. Marlon Delatore. Doctor, I think of my brother, Bill, who has a gentle, humble self-confidence that is very much rooted in his trust in Jesus. Is there a person in your life that has really modeled meekness for you? Oh, gosh. There have been several key figures in my life um, that have modeled uh, just meekness in my life. My high school theology professor was probably one of the greatest examples of a man who was both a disciplinarian, uh, a model father, a model teacher, uh, a quiet, gentle man, but a powerful man of God. Uh, his name was Dennis Jacobelli. Uh, his, his ability to teach the faith was infectious. Um, he was stern. He held us accountable. But you knew that, that you were loved by him. You knew that he actually cared and would take the time. And this is a man who played collegiate basketball at a D1 school, a very prominent D1 school. He was an Olympic weightlifter, was on the U.S. Olympic weightlifting team. This is a man who was a, a, a true family man. And so he's one of many that have been instrumental in my life that, that showed the, the, the beautiful balance of being a faithful disciple, a faithful Catholic, being firm and loving, but also challenging the person around him. Uh, no excuse was part of his... Uh, nomenclature, so to speak, that everybody has an opportunity to say yes or no to God. The day, for today, how many times have you said yes to Him? And these are some of the things that I, that I received, that I still carry with me, and that I've handed on to my children and to those whom I teach. I think that sets up a really good example, Doctor, of how we see in these, uh, how the Beatitudes are presented as paradoxes right? Where mm-hmm. blessed mm-hmm. are the meek for they will inherit the land. So you look mm-hmm. at your, your teacher, weightlifter, strong guy, but it's not mm-hmm. in his power or in violence that will win the world as, as the world would hear, or as the world would understand it. But it's, but it's the meek, it's his meekness mm-hmm. that will uh, allow him to inherit the world. Oh, I agree. I think there's a there's sometimes a misinterpretation of that you can't be both mentally, physically, emotionally strong and meek or gentle at the same time. Actually, it's, it's quite the opposite. Um, human beings are attracted to those who are firm, who are strong, who are willing to die on the cross, but yet show a compassion and love that's properly and rightfully ordered towards Jesus Christ. 
not to our own human device. And so I couldn't agree with you more, Dave, that, that, that this is really the, the, the view they need, the attractiveness of being unique is the fact that we can engage the world through that. Yeah. And the, I mean, the pinnacle of strength and this meekness really is the saying yes to dying on the cross and not in our own strength of worldly oh, I, power. I agree. Yeah, man, you're absolutely correct. I think when you look at the, the there is a, there's a definitive beauty of what Christ did on the cross. Obviously, there, there, there is a sadness because of the, of, the, of the brutality that he experienced, and no one can deny that. Even, even the, uh, the known or the atheist has to at least acclaim the fact that uh, something of a, of a sacrificial event existed. And it wasn't a pacifist act. Um, he showed meekness and gentleness even at the point of his last breath, and the fact that he looked to try to save those around him, mm-hmm. especially the, uh, the beggar and the sinner and the thief. So it's a reminder that when we take and contemplate the, the crucifix of the cross itself, uh, that there is so much wrapped around this issue of sacrifice, of, of bearing, of raising one's mind and heart to Christ that um, can't really ignore it unless you just want to be blind by it. Go ahead, Emily. Burning question, though, Doctor. <laughs> um, what does it mean to inherit the land? Ah, excellent. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the inheritance is, is, is a divine inheritance. So, in other words, the moment we are brought into this earth, we, we are inheriting a gift. And that gift is meant to be cultivated because ultimately this is our... Um, our fruit. This is our field. This is the, the pathway that he has given to us uh, that leads us to heaven. So when we're cultivating this whole issue of, or the image of land or the, this image of, of the world around us, what we're called to do is to really purify our heart, be enlightened by the Holy Spirit, and then uh, be one with our Lord. And, and this particular earth is that proving ground. I think St. Francis Liguori, um, if I'm correct, once said that, that the whole premise of the moral life is how you embrace what's been given to you by God on this earth, and that what you do with that really sets the stage and how you're able to visibly see Him once your time passes in heaven. And so this is all part of this whole inheritance that we receive from Him, because we are deistic. We are His children, and He doesn't give us nothing. He's going to, he will always give us something in order to reach Him in some way. So uh, God literally is, is in His infinite and infinite wisdom— uh, gave us something to nourish, to be nourished by. And that's that's really part of the premise of this inheritance that we receive. Dr. Marlon Delatore is with us here in the cafe. We're talking about the Beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Practically, uh, doctor, how do we model this and teach this to our children? Oh, gosh. You, it's important that a child sees a parent pray uh, in front of mom and dad. So a child needs to see that both mom and dad are praying for one another visibly, that there's a visible reality that um, I, I need to pray for another soul, I need to care for another soul. The other thing would be that when, when mom and dad have an argument or, or they're, they're having a stressful time, that they understand and take the time to embrace those challenges, uh, those arguments, that they don't cast doubt or um, say anything that may be of a... Uh, of an evil nature against one another. So they need to see holy reminders and examples. And then praying over your children, praying with them, 
those are all just wonderful examples of meekness of heart. Outstanding. Doctor, another home run. Appreciate that, guys. It's great <laughs> to work with. Thank you. Thanks yeah, so next, much. next Tuesday we'll be back with Blessed Are They Who Hunger and Thirst for Righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Until next Tuesday, Doctor. God bless you. God bless you both. Have a great week. You, you too. too. Take care. Thanks. And joining us in, uh, next will be our friends David Locke and Angela Bonfont. And we'll talk about anxiety and how we combat that with a strong interior life. Stay with us. This is Bill Messerly, the Executive Director for St. Gabriel Radio, your local Catholic radio station. As the manager of the station, I get to see how each of us in our local Catholic community is part of St. Gabriel Radio's mission of proclaiming faithful Catholic teaching through our radio signal on AM 820 in Central Ohio, FM 88.3 in Scioto County, and digitally through smart speakers in our website and our smartphone app. We are in this together. The Board of Directors and our entire team offer our sincere gratitude to you, our listening family, who support local Catholic radio with your prayers and financial support. We would especially like to thank our sustaining members, business supporters, and leadership givers who keep this station on the air. This is truly a movement of God, and together we're making a difference in the eternal lives of many. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you and be gracious to you and give you his peace. Do you have a minute for a gift? Each of us were made as a gift and to be a gift. We become a gift when we give ourselves to others. In baptism, we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to God and to help us live virtuously. The Holy Spirit's gift of counsel enables us to respond fully to the direction and guidance from the Lord. God's spirit of counsel perfects the virtue of prudence in us by advising us to judge rightly. It helps us to achieve the right balance when choosing between goods. Let us ask for the gift of counsel that we may have the grace to live virtuously. God's spirit makes us free. Let us ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let us live in the freedom that Jesus gives and become a gift of self for others. Welcome back, friends. I'm Amanda Miller. And I'm Dave Orsborn. We hey. welcome... Hey! <laughs> <laughs> hey, Amanda! <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> no, please. Our friends joining us now... We just now. played rock, paper, scissors <laughs> on how this would go, and I, I guess I, I completely... Missed- yeah, dropped it, fumbled, <laughs> fumbled it. It's my turn. <laughs> Our friends joining us now are Angela Bonfot, who serves on the board at St. Gabriel Radio, and David Locke, a counselor with Spirit of Peace and Counseling, um, a Spirit of Peace Clinical Counseling. So welcome, friends. <laughs> morning, <laughs> Thank guys. You. Thank Good you. Good morning. Uh, Last Sunday, our second reading at Mass was from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Brothers and sisters, have no anxiety at all, 
but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, guys, have no anxiety at all, right? <laughs> In a perfect world. Sounds easy enough, right? I know. <laughs> so it seems that, boy, we live in an anxious world, right? Uh, don't have to look too far back in the news to see that there is a lot to cause anxiety and, and fear. So let's talk about how we can approach that uh, through the through the peace that uh, the Lord gives us Uh have that interior peace as the scripture passage came out. David, I came across a definition. Actually, it was from Father Mike Schmitz over the weekend in his homily. Uh, and he put forth, at the heart of anxiety is the overestimation of danger and the underestimation of our ability to cope with that danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, our, our kind of human minds are a funny thing, right? We have this imagination that helps to keep us safe, right, in a way, but unfortunately it also can create a lot of fears um, that aren't necessarily present, right? We kind of think of the worst, worst scenario that could come up. Um, and yeah, so that's oftentimes kind of the idea. It's like anxiety is like a fear of things that aren't yet present, right? Mm. And then we kind of, you can even think of like, I won't be able to handle it right when it comes up and kind of losing sight of our own abilities to do that right um and yeah i absolutely agree yeah do you think that's why christ tells us to only worry about the things of today Mm, yeah yeah and that because that's like the present moment is really all that we have right now and also too um i really do think that god gives us the grace not for what we don't yet have present but what's actually present before us right now right and so i think that's that's absolutely why he he said that in that moment yeah I've, I've heard before that anxiety and gratitude can't exist at the same time. Is that true? Mm, mm. Yeah, I actually think they do go hand in hand. Um, I, I think, yeah, with, with, with anxiety, uh, yeah, it's this kind of this sense that I don't have enough. Right. Mm. Um, and I think when we're, when we're grateful, we acknowledge that, God has given us all that we need in this moment to persevere and, and move forward, right? And I think when we lose sight of that, it can uh, cause us to lose sight of, of the graces that God's even given us in that moment, right? Kind of what, what, it, what does it take to kind of step forward in faith, step forward in virtue, um, in whatever circumstance we have, have before us. So, yeah. Angela? Yeah, I was going to say that um, we can't use our logical mind, however, to talk our way out of anxiety necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm a survivor of anxiety, so I can speak to this authentically. And the uh, one thing that has transformed my mind is a deep prayer life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reminder there that the Lord 
is always taking care of us. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes what happens to people, I think, or I know, is something happens in our lives. We have a wound to the heart. Uh, We have a wound in our brain. So we have triggers that set us off that make us feel like we're back where we were when something happened to us, right? Mm -hmm. And we can do things like breathing and, and that type of thing, but offering it to the Lord and truly letting go, in my opinion, ever so humble opinion Mm -hmm. is that God comes through for us. And then he gives us the grace that we need because we're saying to him, I am a helpless child here at your feet and I'm begging you for your help right now. Right. Yeah. And that's actually a key part of it, right? Um, It's the key to overcoming anxiety paradoxically is not to try to just turn off anxiety by sheer force of will, right? So we can't, if a thought pops in our mind, we can't unthink it. If a feeling comes over us, we can't just turn it off, right? And so, right, exactly. And that posture of turning to Christ in those moments, be even being okay with feeling anxiety. And, yeah, letting yeah. the feeling right. roll through you, over mm-hmm. you, and just sitting with it mm-hmm. and understanding that, okay, this is telling, my brain's telling me I'm going to die or I'm not going to be able to survive right. whatever is in front right. of me. Right. However, the Lord says... I go before you. I am with you. Mm-hmm. Do not be afraid. Trust in me. Yeah. And um, those would be good mantras <laughs> to have in your hip pocket if you're prone to this type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Angela, I think you brought up a really important point, this idea of allowing yourself to feel that emotion. And I've, I've actually heard this a lot lately, the idea of actually we need to feel those emotions to be able to work through them or to heal from them. Have you heard that before? I believe so. I mean, we can, if you fight your emotions, you're basically stuffing them, right? Mm. They're going to come out one way or another, usually not at the right moment. (laughs) And usually with your spouse, (laughs) your children, someone that loves you deeply, the last people you want to hurt. And so allowing yourself to let the feelings roll through you and allowing the Lord to be there with you in those moments and just sitting with that and trusting in the Lord allows that emotion to, to be free essentially mm-hmm. from your lock, right? So you're kind of not locking it down any longer. You're saying, be free, come through me. It's okay to have a feeling. It's what happens next. And to bring it right to the Lord. I think that's what the, uh, the first few verses in Philippians uh, from that chapter four passage by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. So bring it right, right to Christ mm-hmm. and, and put it out there. Cam, you had mentioned a conversation that you had had or, or a homily from a priest in Nashville about gratitude. I think th- this is a really yeah interesting point. Uh, a dear friend of mine down in, down in Nashville, a priest down there really, uh, speaks to that like dynamic between gratitude and anxiety and um, it, he spins that what if question I, I think that tends to be the basis of a lot of anxieties we ask ourselves what if what if what if and he says okay well we'll use it for gratitude what if you woke up tomorrow morning with only the things you thanked God for today <laughs> and, and he would look through I, I remember this homily specifically he's looking at individual people and he'd point at someone he'd say would you wake up with your underpants you know <laughs> would you wake up with sheets on your bed would you wake up with food in your fridge? Like we can think about the big ones, but he goes, "What about the little things?" You know, w- would you wake up with your hair <laughs> or, or not? You know, <laughs> um, 
and, and really just put it in perspective, I think for me way back then of like, okay, if, if I'm prone to asking this question, what if things get worse? Well, okay, then thank you, Lord, for the things that aren't worse today. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a beautiful story. And I think it gets right back to this uh, Philippians reading of think about these things. Exactly. And that's the word I circled when we were reading this is think about these things. And I think it gets to like that transformation of the mind. Right. And and giving it all to the Lord and thinking about those things that we're grateful for to maybe combat some of that anxiety that we face day to day. There's also a lot of things that can cause us to go into that anxiety day to day. I mean, we have a 24 hour news networks. You can tune in at any moment and it's full of fear and anxiety and worry. And it, it struck me the other day that it's always been that way in the world, right? There's always been war. There's always been famine. There's always been the unknown. Um, and it's really about having our faith in the Lord because all generations have had this. Mm-hmm. We just know more about what's going on across the globe, perhaps, than our brothers and sisters did that were without television and radio. But when you find yourself constantly following the news channels, I find more anxiety in my heart. And so it's being aware of what causes you to end up in that place mm-hmm. and in maybe substituting instead reading scripture or prayer or saying a rosary instead of reading the news channels or the or reading the news online or whatever. Yeah, right. David, what's a, what's a good way to interact with the media and, and with current <laughs> events? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think with anything to the degree that it's helpful in certain some way, that's good. You know, it's good to be informed, but if it's getting to a point where it's exhausted its usefulness, I think that's a really practical, good step with regard to that, right? And like I mentioned, you can't necessarily take thoughts out of your mind by sheer force of will, but you can certainly put thoughts in your mind. So filling that with good things, with scripture, with the truths about about who you are and and who God is for you. That's a really important way to also counteract that in a sense. You know, David, I don't want to just think that we could pray away everything. Mm -hmm. And so just, I guess, what are your thoughts um, as a counselor of, okay, there's a very important part of prayer that plays, um, but also kind of maybe also attending to the body, the mind and... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we are we aren't just a mind, right? We're both a body and a soul, right? And so being it right, exactly, being attentive to that, um, and I think you know part of this what we've been talking about this idea of um, even accepting what's going on um, inside of you and realize that you can't just pray away feelings of anxiety, but even having a sense of patience with yourself, um, even you know sometimes anxiety manifests in a physical way, right? You might people feel like tension or stomach cramps or something and even kind of being even mindful of that and being okay with all right that's that's what I'm experiencing right now having a sense of patience with with yourself in that regard Um, so I think that's an important piece of it for sure Um, yeah also too um, one thing that stands out in this scripture is St. Paul talks about keep doing right Mm. Um, it's not there's kind of a both there's a mind part but there's also a concrete action part of this right and that's an also that's also a very important part of overcoming anxiety, right? Keep walking in faith, right? Living life of virtue. I think of Peter walking on the water towards Christ, right? The answer to that was kind of stay focused on Christ and keep walking, right? Um, and I think that's a really important piece of overcoming anxiety as well, 
right? Um, not just simply praying, but also continue to walk in virtue. Um, I, I, let's stay on this phrase, pray it away. Hmm. Because I mean, how often do, do I pray to Lord, just get rid of this, you know, and, and yeah. get this out of my mind as we've talked about, just, just do away with it. What's another way to pray with the mind of Christ through through that anxiety, through mm. through whatever uh, emotions that we have. Yeah, I, I think maybe a helpful prayer in that regard, right, might be an openness to what God might do, not a demand of God, you must take this away, right? This has to happen, right? Because it may not, right? right. Maybe he will take away that feeling, but he might not. So I, you, maybe you could pray that, but I think a almost a more helpful prayer might be, Lord, be with me in this, yes. right? Walk with me through this emotion, help me to like, help me if I, if I need to experience it, you know, help me, give me the strength to do that. Right. Um, help me find healing. Cause that's how our, our holiness, our walk of holiness works, right? God wants to walk with us, right. And, and transform us over throughout the course of our life and maybe working through anxiety, um, could be a part of that. You know, it it actually makes me think about working with a child, this Mm. idea of if I just do the task for the child, the child doesn't learn anything at all. But if I do it with them and show them step by step how to do it, there's so much, I guess, gratification and learning that the child comes about through this step by step togetherness process. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of gets to the heart of your question, Dave, this idea of, yeah, God does have the ability to just take it away or to just heal us or just he has that ability. But the beauty of him being like, I'm going to walk step by step with you through this and we're going to learn trust and we're going to learn abandonment and we're going to learn how to offer it up and so much more we can learn from that. Redemptive suffering. Yeah. So sometimes the Lord wants to rush in and heal us of something and sometimes he wants us to be purified through the process of our suffering and anxiety is definitely a suffering and we have a whole generation of young people, the highest levels of anxiety, probably in history. Mm -hmm. And part of that, in my opinion, is because they've lost God and they don't understand suffering. So if you offer your suffering to the Lord and unite it to his cross and then pray for someone else, for someone's prayer, for someone who needs something, for the homeless, for the souls in purgatory, whatever it is that's important at that moment in your heart, what the Lord's giving you and offer your suffering as a offering instead of saying, please rid me of this. Please use this for something good. Please use this and show me the fruit. Please Lord, show me the fruit of my suffering. And he will, he will show you. Is anxiety a a symptom of something else that could be going on? In our lives, I'm thinking of today's gospel with with Martha, and she's anxious, and and she's running around serving the Lord, right? So so she's in a good place. She's doing a good activity. Where is, is the heart of her anxiety that Mary isn't helping, or is it something more that she's not, perhaps able to to sit still and 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 be quiet and and be present to the lord so often there's a lot of different things that can come into play beyond just that 
present emotion. Yeah, I, I think it's different for different people. Um, but a few things come to mind. I think anxiety can come from a sense of feeling unsafe, right? And that can come from a wide variety of experiences in your life, right? Um, and and I, I think this also could be the sense of needing to prove oneself as also. Mm. Um, the sense that I'm not enough in myself. Of course, we're always called to grow in holiness, but I think sometimes anxiety comes from this sense that I need to uh, make myself something. I need to prove myself to someone. I have to even earn love, for example, right? Um, and I think that can be a big source of anxiety as well. Um, so it could be a combination of things, lack sense of lack security and just lacking the, the security of being enough in a, in a way. And Christ's solution in, in, in the gospel is just come and, come and sit with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't, yeah. don't just be here. Yeah. And I actually would say a good prescription for anxiety is to waste time with God in adoration. Um, and, and I emphasize wasting time because even in adoration, we can feel like we have to problem solve, right? I don't know about you guys. I've gone to adoration yes. thinking, okay, I got to yeah. figure out these problems and I, I got to think through this. And I've been kind of through God's grace. I felt like God's told me in adoration, David, just, just be here with me, mm-hmm. you know, um, just, just rest here. And that's all I want you to do. Um, and I think practicing that can be a great way to overcome a sense of anxiety. That sense I always have to prove myself, even in prayer. Right. Talk about paradoxes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you fix something by doing something. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, what the Lord is saying, fix it by not doing something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think too, though, that it depends on where you are mm-hmm. with the anxiety, right? Sure. So as a preventative I think adoration is probably a beautiful place to be. And even in the midst of having an anxiety attack, so to speak. However, sometimes you got to get that energy out too. Mm -hmm. So um, like I say, go and and exercise and pray. So be running, be walking, get on your elliptical, whatever it is, but be praying also while you're doing it because expelling that energy that's building up in you, that sense of, um, and it's the only way I know how to explain it. It's, it's like a, tightly wound ball of energy that has nowhere to go Mm. it's bouncing around and then if you just try to maybe pray and sit still sometimes that's hard in the midst of that even though it's good right it's good right but some people will need to probably i think get it out of their system a little bit then sit yeah yeah that's that's definitely possible is that possible okay yeah yeah i would say too um sometimes i mentioned before some of the also the way to address anxiety is by in a way doing and it doesn't contradict the sense of like just sitting with god but in a sense like you're saying direct your energy towards what's actually because a lot of times we spend our energy trying to contain our anxiety right to cope and it's ways that we end up not living life the way we want to live and so a good answer to that is think how can i actually use this energy towards something good towards my values right and actually living that out as well. So it might be that's, might be exercising, for that's example, true. that's a good thing. Or it could be taking that step to be kind to somebody, yes. something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Where am I using my, where am I going to put this energy? Am yeah. I going to use it to contain the anxiety, try to manage it and control it, or to actually live the life of virtue? David Locke and Angela Bonfont here with us in the cafe. There's this <clears throat> passage, excuse me, from Isaiah Can a mother forget her infant or be without tenderness for the child in her womb? Yet even she, should she forget, I will never forget you. Just that 
comfort, uh, that peace, that serenity and knowing that God is always with us through whatever the situation, whatever, just in itself, knowing that he is present brings a lot of peace. Yeah. I think so many of our ailments stem from the lack of true identity. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I just, I think we don't truly know how to be children of God sometimes and how to just sit in that. And like the scripture you just read, um, to just be delighted in as a child is delighted in. Mm -hmm. It's true. I think that the world teaches us from a very young age to be productive, to study, to do all these things, to accomplish. And rarely, unless our family teaches us to sit, be still and pray, do we understand that? And I see children whose parents live that truth in their homes and the children just seem very centered and able to be centered. And I look at that and I was like, I'm always thinking, wow, I wish I had known that when I was raising kids. So like say, let's just sit and, and pray and be still and think about God. You know, we prayed, but not in that way. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or growing up without the feeling of being loved and delighted in mm-hmm. and thinking that we do have to earn some kind of love or approval. And I think the program just before us was talking about how when we are at mass, you know, the reality of the sacraments is that we are truly present at Calvary during the mass, right? During the consecration. And I don't, David, maybe you can kind of help me break this open because I, I get the sense also a part of our healing journey is going back to those memories in which you, we were hurt um, or there's a lack of understanding of true identity and inviting Christ into that. And this isn't like just some mental imagination thing. No, Christ is truly present to us. And so asking him, where were you in that memory and show me how you were interacting with me in that memory so that I can know that I'm loved and seen. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not right. It's not like you're sort of imagining as if he was there because he actually was there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, right. During those like moments of stress or even trauma, right. It, it can feel very isolating in that moment. Right. Cause those are very difficult moments of course for people, but sometimes part of the healing process is looking at kind of the bigger picture of even that moment. Right. Not to minimize the hurt of course. Right. But to realize that God was with you and, and kind of understanding that, right. Of course it can't just, uh, it doesn't undo what happened, but it gives it bigger context right and that the truth of who you are didn't change just because that happened right yeah yeah and so maybe even taking this into like a present moment Mm -hmm. i actually have never thought i've thought about it in terms of healing past memories but if someone is going through a period of i'm depressed right now or i'm Mm -hmm. anxious right now Mm -hmm. what's the power of inviting christ into that almost in our imagination but also recognizing no truly he is present with me yeah, I think there's a few things. One is this whole idea of being seen, right? Because I think if you're depressed or anxious, there can be something very lonely about it, right? Mm-hmm. We can feel like I'm the only one going through this or I just, I'm just i just alone, right? And that's, that's difficult. And I think just having that sense that uh, Christ is with you in that, I think that's one big part of it too. But 
even this like, sense that he's not just with us, but his life dwells within us, right? And so inviting him, inviting his power to help you take that step in, in overcoming whatever the anxiety might be, for example, right? Um, and moving forward through it, right? Kind of addressing, okay, what's, what am I called to do in this moment, right? Um, and that's, that can be a helpful thing too. Sometimes it's, okay, what's that step I can take? To, to move forward right now. And so I think inviting Christ to the present moment could be, that could be another reason why could, that could be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you find that in your own journey, Angela? Mm-hmm. I did. And it's interesting because if you look at anxiety purely from a physical standpoint or natural world standpoint, it, that all of those tactics helped, but it wasn't until I had a deep intimacy with Jesus that it changed. And part of that was discovering my identity Mm. in Christ and understanding who I was and that the things that happened to me that brought me to the place of having anxiety have nothing to do with God. Those things happened, but out of free will choices and and, uh, other things and my temperament or whatever it was. But God was with me and walking with me. And he says, I love you. You are special. I'm with you. And those, that knowledge of who I truly am in Christ is what changed to be able to not suffer with the anxiety. Not that triggers don't happen. They always seem to happen from time to time. But I always remember when St. Paul says he prayed to the Lord three times to be rid of the thorn in his side. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm -hmm. And so it reminds me that, okay, I can take the suffering because you're with me and I'm going to offer it to you. And we're going to get through this together when it does come. Yeah. Uh, David, that to me kind of seems to beg the question because I think a lot of us, a lot of us have loved ones and we see them in their struggles and yet they don't have Christ. And you're just, how do you, obviously we can pray for them, but I guess just in general, how does someone go through healing when they don't have the healer? Yeah. What is that? Like, how does that, how do they find true good healing? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I I think it's, it's possible in a sense, right. On maybe a natural level, you could say, right. And that's, you know, I, I believe, obviously believe in the good of therapy. And I think that can be helpful even if you don't have faith, but there, there is certainly a limit, right. Because I think, um, one way to define mental health is to be grounded in the truth. And the ultimate truth is that we have a God who loves us and that we are fearfully, wonderfully made by him. Um, and if you don't have that, there's a limit. But I, I think, you know, you can still walk with people and that help them to address their reactions to anxiety, help them to refocus on what's most fundamentally important in their life, for example, things like that. Um, so yes, you can certainly be done and even just walking with them, right? Just that since the meekness that we we're discussing mm-hmm. earlier, right? Just having that, extending that, like maybe you can't, you know, they're not a place to receive the gospel, right? But and we can still be Christ for them yeah. in that moment, right? And so I think that, you know, and, and I think that's one helpful way to help people with things that even if they don't have faith or aren't receptive to it. To affirm the goodness of their identity, like mm-hmm. you said, even if you mm-hmm. don't bring in the gospel. Right. Right. right, absolutely. Everyone has that, right? And just yeah. affirming that, yeah. Yeah. Love heals all things, I think. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot. Uh, we're with uh, David Locke and Angela Bonfont in the cafe. We've talked a lot recently about having, <clears throat> excuse me, virtuous friendships mm-hmm. and, and that importance of, of both 
having friends, but then also being a friend. And I know Angela through through your health issues in the in the past, mm-hmm. and you were never alone. Never. I mean, you were very close to the Lord, but you were also surrounded by a lot of very good friends. Mm-hmm. A lot of people praying for me, a lot of people supporting me, a lot of friends, funny friends who like to make me laugh. <laughs> and um, yeah, and that was, it was quite a um, transformative experience. It was cancer, breast cancer is when I had cancer, I think is what you're referring to. Right. And um, it was quite a transformative experience walking that closely with the Lord in those moments. Mm-hmm. And that's, th- these friends weren't there to heal you. Mm-mm. You know, they weren't there to necessarily make everything better Mm-mm. for you. That, that, that's not in our power uh, as friends. It's more just being present to you yes. and, and even suffering with you. And suffering can mean with a me. lot. Yes. And just, you know, attentive, um, just calling, you know, just giving of themselves um, to my family. I mean, I worried more about everyone else around me. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to be fine one way or another. I really wasn't afraid of it, but everyone else was. And so I think it helped them to, like they say, when you're sick or when you're visiting the sick, the sick is Jesus to the, to the people who are attending. And I feel like that really did happen. And when I went out public and asked for prayers, people told me I hadn't prayed in years, but I, I prayed for you. And I, I would say, well, thank you. You keep it up, <laughs> keep praying. But um, I was always thankful. And that's where gratitude comes in because I was so thankful for the people that God gave me in my life, for my family, for my children, for my husband, for all my friends, uh, for the wonderful doctors and nurses and all of the people, he just gave me everything I needed before I knew I needed it. And that's who God is. And we can't forget that. And that can be a moment of great anxiety for people when you get a diagnosis like that. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, um, I just surrendered to the Lord and said, well, if this is what we're going to do, then let's do it. <laughs> you <know>? Right. <laughs> and, and you lead me through it yeah. and we're all going to be okay. And then I told Monsignor, you're going to be have your work cut out for you because you either got to get me to heaven really fast <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to be okay. So just go ahead and give me an anointing to the sick. <laughs> you know, that reminds me of a, a story of a woman I know, and she was going through, yes, very difficult time. Her whole family mm-hmm. was going through this suffering, and uh, one of her friends just couldn't understand it and was wondering, just like, how do you do this? And she's like, I'm just not going to waste this suffering. If, if it's going to happen, let's do it, Lord. Mm. And just like you, it sounds like she used it for the greater good. And I think also getting back to our original kind of beginning of the conversation of this idea of, yes, God could just get rid of it. But how many people would have missed out on growing in their prayer life or being touched or seeing the witness or coming together closer as friends and learning how to serve and to give? Uh, like all of that would have been lost. It would have been lost. And then the sense of empathy you have for others who are going through these situations because you know it from the interior and you know it from the exterior. And it's so moving when someone else comes to you and says, can you help me? Because they know you've walked it and they want to have the peace of heart 
uh, while they go through it. And so you have this opportunity in all suffering to learn and be changed by it and then to help others going through it, which is what God calls us to do, to be his hands and feet. Yeah, That's kind of the task in any kind of suffering, anxiety, mm-hmm. like asking mm-hmm. the Lord, Lord, where, where is your grace in this? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And where do you, what, how do you want to use this? Mm-hmm. It's here for a purpose. I don't know the purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't like it necessarily, but I'll walk it and right. uh, I'll do it for you. And that's also surrendering mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to walk this out with you. Mm-hmm. Which I think comes to a perspective change. And I, and I imagine that's a, a huge part of the work of counseling too, when you're mm-hmm. sitting down with somebody else, or even just in friendships too. If someone comes asking just simply for advice, they're coming not because they think you're some you know wise guru who knows it all, but they're mm-hmm. coming because you're a friend who can offer a different kind of perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as we're sitting here talking about this, I'm just thinking myself about um, those moments of coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, what's your perspective on this thing? Mm-hmm. I think of the character of Moses in the mm-hmm. Bible, right? Who has a stutter and the Lord's like, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh and you're <laughs> going to be the leader. And Moses is like, I have a stutter. <laughs> you know? Are you are you sure? And God doesn't take away the stutter. Mm-hmm. But he still calls Moses to that to that moment because God's eternal perspective in that way, his divine perspective in that way, didn't see the stutter as like in something that inhibits or something that takes away from the person that he calls Moses to be. And I think recognizing that in our own lives, our own weaknesses and faults and failures, our own things that cause us anxiety or worry, um, and recognizing that those things, when they don't go away overnight, sometimes it's because the Lord doesn't actually see that as like inhibiting us from the person that we're called to be, meaning that we can still become the person he wants us to be, even if we feel that like, what if or that plague of anxiety down underneath there? Well, and I really believe the Lord wants us. He wants to use that. He it's out of those weaknesses where we become strong. And then even St. Paul says that in weakness, I am strong in Christ. And so I believe the Lord wants us to act out of those weak places in humility, not in anger, not in, um, you know, attacking or, or taking it out on others, but in humility and understanding that, Hey, I have this weakness that's okay. I love you. And I'm going to show you how I love you through this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's okay when we fail at that, right? Correct. <laughs> that, okay, we all have days or yes. moments where we just utterly fail at that. Yes. And then taking it to the Lord and be like, okay, I'm sorry. Let's start again tomorrow or Humility. let's start again in the next moment. <laughs> Even offering up your inability to offer up, right? Just, yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Say that again. Like that. E- offering up your inability to uh, offer up, yes. right? Like, just accepting even that and being having that humility even in, in that, that aspect of your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, the, the remedy that, that we're given in this reading from Philippians, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And David, you had brought this up. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, changing that perspective, going back to the things that we've been taught, bringing those memories of the times that God has been with us in these situations and recall those times and, and then move forward, hopefully with others. Loneliness is such 
uh, a chronic uh, malady or it's talk about a pandemic Mm -hmm. and so many people think that they have to face whatever they're facing alone And, and, and you must see this a lot David absolutely absolutely yeah so but we're never alone right so amen David Locke and Angela Bonfont here in the St. Gabriel Cafe. Another good place, friends, uh, to turn are the Psalms, full of consolation. <laughs> Angela has a page, I think, of Psalms as well. Page. <laughs> I have, a, yeah, just a couple. How about I'll, I'll give one, then you can give one, you can Angela. Yours, yes. Yeah, well, let's see if we have the same one. Psalm 34, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. That's Mm -hmm. Psalm 34. I think that's beautiful. And the one thing you said there is that it doesn't say we're not going to have suffering. It pretty much guarantees we will. But the Lord will protect and guide us and be with us through it all. Mm. Yes, I was just reading Psalm uh, 28 here, 7, 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. That gratitude yep. you know, comes yep. out and, again. And you know, it's hard to say this, but you even to thank the Lord for your suffering. A lot of times when you get on the other side of something you've suffered through, you realize the growth that has happened in your heart and to thank the Lord for that suffering, which sounds counterintuitive, but um, it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. I think in both of those Psalms, what stood out to me was the promise that he is close to us and uh, that he will not leave us broken through this, mm-hmm. that it, this will not break us. And that my song I give thanks to the Lord that like almost that cry, mm-hmm. that anxious cry of anxiety, cry of helplessness, that could be our song to, okay, I give this to you, Lord, and you will not leave me broken in this, but you are here with me in this. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. David, Angela, thanks for being with us in the cafe this morning. Is it okay if I give Spirit of Peace a little shout out? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Because I'm going to anyway. Spirit of Peace, clinicalcounseling.com. Dot org. Dot org. Uh Uh-oh. Producer. Producer man. (laughs) Search for Spirit of Peace Clinical Counseling, and it will get you to the right place on the interweb. So (laughs) thank you guys for being with us. Amanda, always a joy. We'll be back tomorrow at 8 a.m., We're talking with Father Thomas Blau, I believe, tomorrow on the anniversary of Vatican II. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. God bless you all.